Stop it. Don't open that door. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. Thank you for spending a little bit of time on your Christmas vacation with us here this week. We don't have a very long episode for you this week because we don't want to take too much time away from your family. We know that you have probably spent some time listening to episode 10 and have decked out your holiday escape with family with a bunch of fantastic co-op games. And hopefully you'll have some fun beating up on your brothers, sisters, parents, in-laws, nieces, nephews, and the like on some fantastic <laughs> couch co-op games or local multiplayer in general. Yeah. <laughs> co-op in the opposite sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. using it ironically. I'm, exactly. I, I, I got my skinny jeans on and my <laughs> hipster mustache. Yeah. <laughs> so Caleb, what uh, what have you got going on here for the holidays? Um, not a whole lot. Staying staying local, not really traveling anywhere. I live in the uh, Kansas City metro area, and so I'm uh, gonna stay here. Um, and it's it's gonna be nice. I'm gonna take some time off of work, which I always question whether or not I should do. Uh, the 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 few days uh, toward the end of the year are generally days where you get a lot of work done. Um, and sometimes it's sad to sacrifice being able to get all of that work done. Uh, but for mental health reasons, I should probably take some time off because it has been a little while since I've done that. So looking forward to it. Yeah, we've all got to check out from work every once in a while and get some some me time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's always nice, too, when you can stay home. You know, you don't have to worry about gathering up the kids and running through an airport and all of that. Malarkey. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh and and it's sad because uh now that I have the glorious Nintendo Switch and I recently purchased Skyrim on said Switch Ooh. and I'm playing through Skyrim for the very first time in my life. Uh I almost kind of secretly want that experience where I am actually able to leave and travel so that I can just for the novelty of it play a game that should that should be scientifically impossible to play on a plane but I am playing it on a plane uh, so I, I won't be able to live that life unfortunately maybe I'll pretend I will uh I, I will get in a very small I'll get a tiny chair um, and then I'll get a, a different chair right in front of me um, mm-hmm. so that I'm cramped. Um, and then I will make sure that I f- don't charge my Switch so that I will have about 10 minutes of gameplay before I get really angry and then yell at my wife to bring me um, a vodka tonic. For $78. For $78, of course. Yep. Of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> so a, maybe, that's a great maybe plan. Maybe it will be Christmas. Yeah. That, that really, that's the holidays in a nutshell for me, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what have you been uh, playing? I, I, I revealed a little bit early that I was playing uh, Skyrim on the Switch, which I'm absolutely loving. Um, and I realized upon playing this that my love for Fallout, the Fallout games, the latter Fallout games specifically, may not be entirely due to the setting. Uh, you know, I was I thought I was enamored with the apocalyptic setting. Um, and uh, as I'm playing Skyrim, I realized, no, I think it's the mechanics and the gameplay because Skyrim and Fallout, essentially the same game yep. uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not into the high fantasy stuff, never have been. So I, that's kind of what I've been turned away from Skyrim for quite a while. Um, but I'm actually really, really, really enjoying it. Um, not, not as much as Fallout. I think there's still some of the aesthetic of Fallout that I prefer, but I'm actually, but I'm still really enjoying it and playing it a lot more than I thought I would. So nice. And I realized I just said that, uh, what are you playing? And then I went on and talked about what I'm playing for another five minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and actually I, I loved playing Skyrim. So I, when I saw that you had Skyrim for the switch on your playlist notes here for the show, I was really interested because I haven't played it yet on the switch and, uh, been interested to hear how it is. And, now, knowing that you haven't played it elsewhere on any other consoles, what are how far in are you? I am. I, okay, so I, I'm going as soon as I start talking about this, you'll probably uh, nod and and sort of grin. No, grin with have this knowing grin on your face. But um, I'm probably not very far in the story. Uh, I am getting sidetracked by side <laughs> quests a lot. Um, I told myself I was not going to do that because I really wanted to see. Um, I don't know. I kind of wanted to. Ex- to experience the story itself. Um, I do like story in a game, uh, but I am just, I have only just now beat uh, the first dragon and gotten my dragon shout powers. 
um, and I'm about ready to head out of, I think, White Run or Winter Run or something like that as the name of the town, um, onto the next stage where I sort of talk to, I think, the Gray Beards about my Dragonborn abilities. So gotcha. that's that's kind of where I am. So yes, very early in the game, although I've probably been playing for about seven hours. Yeah, that um, sounds about so. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, so, yeah. that was actually what I was going to ask you because I I must have played the game for, I played it on PS3 and I probably put in, I don't know, 150, maybe 200 hours into the game. And I could not tell you one single thing about the storyline. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even remember the storyline. All I remember is running around doing side quests, uh, gathering, doing questing, and spending a good portion of my time running around completely encumbered. So just sort of <laughs> walking very slowly, you know, from from one cave to a town to try and sell stuff off because you may need that um, extra mammoth tusk that you found. You exactly. Know, you don't want to. You want to drop that. Of course not. I don't just hoard games. I also hoard loot. <laughs> See, you do hoard digital goods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You said you were so anti-digital. Come mm. on, I don't see real mammoth tusks in your house. Well, you're not looking very hard. <laughs> they're underneath all of the games. Exactly. You got so That's really pile. what the shelves are made out of. <laughs> I find the greatest that... game shelves are woolly mammoth tusks. Mm. Yeah, that's the best yeah. use of a of a woolly mammoth. Yeah, uh, I could. Yeah, yeah. Bring them back. Make yeah. some shelves. That's right. It's not like this stuff grows on trees. That's right. It do, it, li- it literally uh, mammoth tusks don't. I guess shelves probably do. Right? They probably do. <laughs> Although you got to have fancy, expensive shelves for that, and that's way out of my mm. price range. Yeah, why detract from the collection with fancy shelves? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what have you been playing? I had I hosted a, several friends at my place last weekend. They came out from Wisconsin to visit. Uh, one of my really good friends from undergrad and her husband came to visit. It was the first time in the New York City area. So we, of course, did a lot of the tourist stuff in Manhattan and went down to the World Trade Center and uh, checked out the Memorial, um, Times Square, Rockefeller Center, the Nintendo Store, of course. Mm -hmm. He's a gamer, but he had never played PlayStation VR, had never played VR of any sort. So he really wanted to check that out. Um, So... He played uh, some Eve Valkyrie and then Resident Evil 7 VR. Mm. And actually, that was the first time that I'd ever actually experienced Resident Evil in VR oh, wow. mode. So it was definitely really cool. I, I don't know how much I could play Resident Evil 7 in VR mode, and specifically because the controls are a little bit weird. Because it has to compensate for the fact that you're not... You don't have free, complete free motion, right? You have, mm. it has to be cognizant of the fact that you've got this cable tethered from your head to the PlayStation 4. So they built in this mechanic where basically if you press, I think it's left and right on the D pad, it turns you, it turns your character immediately like 45 degrees, mm. which is really disorienting. So. Mm. I'm not sure that I could play through the whole game in VR, but uh, we each played through like the first level through the through the first boss encounter in VR mode, and um, it was it was fun to have that creepy experience, and of course to scare the living bejesus out of him by you know tapping him on the shoulder when he had the, the <laughs> VR headset on. Like a like a good friend should. Right, exactly. The only thing I was missing was having a camera going and uploading it to YouTube. You know, that <laughs> that's how you really become a, a solid friend. <laughs> yeah, that um the 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 movement in VR I've I've actually never played VR at all, but um and to be frank, I don't have a strong drive to. But, uh, you know, the technology is interesting from a novelty standpoint, at least from my perspective. And um, I never really thought about the movement until I was watching one of my favorite YouTubers is Many a True Nerd. He does uh, playthroughs, but uh, very almost sportsman-like commentary playthroughs. He's very knowledgeable of, of what he's playing. It's not a reaction-driven sort of laughs and have fun thing. It's He actually talks about what he's doing, why he's doing it, why he's planning and gathering the stuff that he gathers. And it's really, really interesting. And so he's recently started playing Fallout 4 VR. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, the two types of movement in that game, and I'm assuming in, in most VR games, at least first-person VR games, and that's, there's the actual motion movement where you can just press forward, back, and the, for you can just press the directional pad and essentially move in that direction. And then there's a teleportation feature 
um, which, you know, you kind of point at where you want to go, press a button, and you just magically kind of appear there. And the teleportation feature, the way that he explained it, is kind of a way to alleviate some of the motion sickness that people get when they use the traditional uh, mm-hmm. movement. And is so so the 45-degree movement, I would assume, is probably similar. It's to, it's to sort of compensate for the... For the uh, motion sickness that would happen if it were to actually animate from looking forward to looking to the left. But yeah, the trade-off is that it just blinks from looking forward to looking left, and that can be very disorienting, as you say. So When we were playing, he he had the headset on and was obviously going through the full VR experience, and I was just... For anybody who hasn't played PlayStation VR, the way it works is what the person wearing the headset is seeing you can actually broadcast that on the television. So people that are around can see what the the player is actually experiencing. But even that, I started getting motion sickness just sitting there watching on the TV what was going on in in the VR headset. So and that was the first time I'd experienced that. And and I mean we played VR for several hours. So I mean that's a long VR setting, but even the fact that I wasn't in the in the cockpit, so to speak, and was still getting motion sickness was a, a little bit disconcerting. Hmm. That's insane. Do they have any uh, a, a VR experiences where, uh, like two-player, multiplayer VR experiences, where the person outside of the VR can control something on the screen that the person on VR has to sort of react to? Does that kind of experience exist at all? Because that could be a cool concept. That could be a really cool concept. None of the games that I've played so far have had that, but that would be really a cool way to to make it more social because yeah, yeah at this point the social aspect really is you know just taunting people and and making fun of them which is fun <laughs> which works yeah yeah <laughs> once that wears off then we'll have you know dodgeball in vr where the or paintball in vr where the right. person on the couch is shooting the gun at the person right. in vr and just to watch the person with the vr mask sort of try to dodge out of the way and freak out every time you shoot a pellet at them throwing wrenches at them yeah, things It'd be like really that. fun. Yeah. <laughs> after uh, after our VR experience and after we decided, you know, this whole motion sickness thing, we really need to come down from that. Um, we played a game that I we really should have included last week in our couch co-op games because we played this game for several hours and just had a blast with it. And you can locally you can play from one to four players, and that's Geometry Geometry Wars Evolved. Hmm. We had a blast. It was just the two of us playing, and obviously some drinking was involved, so our hand-eye coordination wasn't uh, tip-top, so we sucked really, really badly (laughs) at it, but that just made it all the more fun. Have you ever played any of the Geometry Wars games? No, I haven't at all. So it's basically a, a 2D shooter. So like a 360 degree sort of retro style shooter, almost like a, like a Tempest sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's really simplistic. There's a bunch of different shapes. You could, you could effectively say that the bad guys or the enemies are different shapes and the different shapes move differently and they have different patterns to them and movement speeds and, and movement techniques. Obviously, the object is to stay alive. If you run into any of the enemies, you die. It's typical shooter kind of fair. And then you get ranked and, and as you clear boards, then you unlock new new progressions. And they constantly, obviously, each level gets more and more complex and more and more enemies, more and more enemies coming at you. And there's different game modes. So some of them, you have to clear X number of waves of enemies in Y number of minutes. And some of them, you just have to uh, amass a certain amount of points in a certain amount of time. And hmm. describing it is almost difficult because it's so simplistic in of a game but it it just works so well and it's got this sort of edm trance music behind it almost like a uh, like a res Hmm. it's a game that you can get lost in for hours and it's it's simple and um cooperative and it's actually cooperative not hipster cooperative (laughs) nice good we have to have to even it out there it looks like it's a really inexpensive game too oh yeah absolutely i think you could buy it digitally for probably under ten dollars and i think i got the physical copy uh, on playstation 4 for like 12 bucks brand new Mm -hmm. i I mean you could probably get it at gamestop for under 10 i would imagine yeah it looks like brand new at walmart it's 10 bucks so it's definitely 
Highly, okay. highly, highly recommended. Wow. So step one for me, get friends. Step two, buy Geometry, geometry yeah. Wars. Got right. I mean, and with just think, with all the money you save buying a cheap game like Geometry Wars, you could buy so many friends. Oh, man. I can't wait. So much money left over. The friends I buy, though, only stick around for a few hours. Well, you know, sometimes those are the best friends to have. Mm-hmm. I guess the ga- every game gets boring after a long enough amount of time. So, Speaking of having lots of money left over, what have you purchased lately? <laughs> oh, Skyrim. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> much it. Um, yeah, I, I don't have the excuse of the uh, Cartridge Club cartridge club alphabet backlog challenge to guide my gaming habits as listeners to this show will know um uh, that was sort of uh that that had an impact on me that it really wasn't meant to so the cartridge club alphabet backlog challenge a fun time where you choose 26 games eat one game representing each letter of the alphabet to play during 2017 i completed that but mostly because i dishonored the backlog portion of that challenge and just bought new games to account for the various letters that I didn't have games for. Uh, Now that that's done, and hopefully there is no such similar challenge next year, uh, (laughs) although it was a lot of fun, uh, with that out of the way, it's really just Skyrim. I bought Skyrim and playing that quite a bit, having a lot of fun with it. I did win a free digital copy of the, uh, I don't know if it's brand new or new-ish, so Desco published game Wuppo, W-U-P-P-O, um, and it was just kind of on a whim, did a, a Twitter entry contest and, uh, got that digital copy of it. So I have nice. been playing that a little bit. It's a fun, a side scrolling, uh, platformer with, um, some minor RPG elements and it's really cutesy and, uh, you know, cool art style. Um, nothing super groundbreaking or mind blowing, but a lot of fun. And actually that, I, I, that would be a tagline, I think for every Sodesco published game, nothing groundbreaking, but super fun. Um, and that's really all you need in a game. So that's really all I've been, all I've been, uh, that's all I purchased. So yeah. What about you? Trying to keep up with the Rosses here <laughs> in the, in the Soadesco uh, collecting world. And I got a couple of new Soadesco games. One is World to the West, which I think you would really enjoy. It's a, it's one of their newer releases, I believe. And it's a Zelda clone, basically. But it takes place in the the same world setting as Teslagrad. Ah, so it's got a it's you get the dun- dungeon diving, um, more of a more of an action adventure type of game like Zelda is, that, as opposed to a true role playing game. It's party based, so you you can you control I think a party of like five characters. Um, it literally just arrived in the mail today, so I haven't had a chance to check it out, but read quite a bit of it, or quite a bit up on it before picking it up and pulling the trigger on it. Yeah, that looks like a lot of fun. I mean, the art style is different than Tesla Grad. Um, it is the same developer. I think you might have mentioned that. Um, and uh, yeah, the art style is different. And one of the big draws of Tesla Grad was its art style. Mm-hmm. So that's initially a little disappointing, but this art style still looks really, really cool. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to add it to my Amazon list right now. Nice. And uh, of course, as a Soadesco game, it's dirt cheap. Yes. I think you can probably pick it up for 20 or under uh, if you just hold out on it. And then the other Soadesco game that I got is Tricky Towers. And this is a, not a tower defense game, but a tower building game. It's a local multiplayer game again, which is something that I like about the Soadesco games is a lot of them have local multiplayer because they are that kind of retro style. And it it almost reminds me of like a, something that I would think would come out of a Mario Party mini game type thing where you're basically it's it's almost inverse tetris where you're trying to build up these towers higher and higher and higher and and beat the your opponent to the highest tower in the quickest amount of time hmm. so two more games for you to add to your soadesco collection yeah there, mr yeah. j ross you son of a bitch i'm always looking to just push you more toward the collecting world I'm a bad I'm a bad influence. You're a terrible influence. I I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other items that I picked up won't do that at all for you because you've already stated Good. your your disdain for PlayStation VR. I'm trying to get all of the PlayStation VR physical titles. So, I'm sort of hoping that they just stop making VR games so that <laughs> you know, I can just check out. I've been Soon. hoping I've been hoping that for the Vita for like a year. Limited Run Games came along and just completely <laughs> hit the gas on my Vita collecting and it's been a little 
run ragged. <laughs> but I picked up three games for PlayStation VR. One is Star Trek Bridge Crew, which is one that I think in in network play is you can do up like one to four players where each person plays a different character on the Star Trek bridge. But locally, I think it's just one player. So uh, this is starting to get in a little bit to multiplayer VR, which I think could be cool. But again, you have to have multiple headsets, multiple consoles, mm. uh, connectivity. So it's not something that's really local friendly. Um, but that's one of the VR games that I've been most l- wanting to try and had been waiting for a deal on it and finally just pulled the trigger uh, this past week. A newer game, I think this just came out, called The Invisible Hours. It's uh, almost like a, a murder mystery style adventure. And then one game that was something that I really only picked up because I was going for the complete VR physical set, and that's Job Simulator which just mm-hmm. sounds completely uninteresting to me. <laughs> and I think when it first came out, it was a $20 title brand new. And I don't remember if it was just a GameStop exclusive or if it was cross-retailer, but apparently this game is ridiculously rare. Like hmm. it, it, it had a sort of Chris Rock-esque grand opening followed by a grand closing and... <laughs> It is shot up in value. Uh, if you look it up on eBay here in the States, it goes for triple digits now, uh, wow. which is ridiculous. And I've noticed that as a trend among PlayStation VR games is that a lot of the physical releases have gotten pretty small print runs. And it makes sense because VR itself, the the actual PlayStation VR unit has only sold, I think, like a million copies. Uh, and I mean, it's... Uh, it it's a decent number but it's nothing you know it's it's nowhere near what say i mean the switch has sold 10 million right so um, mm-hmm. interesting so I, you would you would just imagine that because the installed user base for the PlayStation VR is relatively small that the the print runs for the actual physical games is going to be small as well yeah i i actually i remember when um uh job simulator came out and i don't know if it was because it was one of the early actually fun uh VR experiences, or if it was genuinely a good game, but it got a lot of publicity and 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 people really really took to it. Apparently, it's a very fun funny game, um, and I believe the people who created Job Simulator came out with a pretty recent new VR game called Vacation Simulator, which takes a similar concept but just puts it in a different environment. Interesting. So if you do happen to enjoy Job Simulator, you could look into Vacation Simulator. But yeah, I wonder if it's because you could. Job Simulator also seems like one of those games that's probably relatively small size-wise, um, and you know, relatively speaking, of course. And so, I don't know if there's some sort of um, meaning that that it's uh, by. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm trying to connect some things that don't quite make sense to connect them to. I was trying to connect the size of the digital version of the game to cost to some degree. So maybe it's just super cheap digitally to download. Yeah, and that's why the the physical editions are you know, smaller print run, not printing anymore, even though it might still be a very popular game and it just doesn't make sense, doesn't make physical sense to create, uh, you know, uh, physical versions. I don't know. Well, I think the for the general consumer, I think digital is probably a, a easier distribution method for VR just because it seems like they're all designed to be more bite-sized experiences, almost like a mobile app. Uh, you know, like a mobile mm-hmm. game. So I think it, it's more conducive to, oh, I'm going to download that and try it and play it for 10 minutes and, and, and instead of going to the store and investing some time into actually picking something up. And I don't know. But mm-hmm. but I've noticed that not just with Job Simulator, but um, also Robinson the Journey is a game that was it got pretty decent reviews and was really it was relatively highly hyped for PlayStation VR, you know, in last holiday season that one as well is becoming pretty scarce and uh getting up there in in value so i guess the the moral of the story is is if you're interested in physical copies of any of these playstation vr games and even if you don't have a playstation vr headset but you're thinking about possibly getting one down the road if you find some of these games on the cheap grab them now before uh, before they are completely dry up at retail and are only option is the scalpers. Boo scalpers. Boo. Hiss. <laughs> Shun the non-believers. <laughs> Speaking of you know news and things drying up and um, scary 
scary experiences of going to scalper land uh, let's let's get into some of our current events shall we yeah let's do that let's do that so um this is uh so so one of the as as frequent listeners know and as n- non-frequent listeners will now learn um i like the uh, stories that um deal a little bit with sort of psychology um scott tends to go toward the business side of of video game news so um there's a a soma uh the the game uh, by the creators from of amnesia is getting a, they they released i believe on december 1st or at least very close to december 1st a safe mode um on the game which is essentially a mode that turns off the threat of the monsters uh any of the scary monsters in there can no longer hurt you essentially the the conversation that's come out of this is the is the uh is opposing factions as anything with an opinion will create opposing factions of people thinking that either a adding a uh adding a safe mode to a horror game is a good idea it allows people to experience the game in a different way or at least maybe experience the environment of the game or the story of the game um that may otherwise be uh they may otherwise be pulled away from because they're trying to avoid monster threats and then B, the other side, which are saying it cheapens the game, it makes the game uh, not really what it was intended to be, and so it doesn't make sense to have this safe mode in there. It really changes the entire intent of the game. Um, and so it, it's. I, I thought it was an interesting concept because it kind of asks the questions, can horror games, one, still be scary if they don't have this threat, this omnipresent threat of death or of, of, of fear or anything like that? And should... Uh, so I think that's the first question, really. Can they still be scary without this threat? And I think the other question is simply by asking the question or simply by incorporating the safe mode, of course, there's going to be implied questions about everyone's going to have a side. But the the other question is why should you even care about someone else's experience, which this is a wider conversation than just this particular news story. But the idea that a person has opinions and is, is opposed to the way that someone else wants to experience a game is a little bit uh, scary in and of itself. So maybe we'll attack the first one first. Like, can a game still be scary if it doesn't have this horror threat? I think so. I think a lot, I think some of horror can come from just ambiance and the setting. If you go through a haunted house at Halloween, you, you, it's not that it's, you're fair, afraid for your life that you think that, you know, the, the guy wielding the chainsaw is actually going to come and gut you, right? There's no <laughs> real bodily threat that's going on, but it's still spooky. It's still scary. It's still fun. I think it can definitely still work in in a safe mode environment. Yeah, I think your um your comparison is is exactly the perfect comparison. Um, I think uh I I think we could also say there are plenty of walking simulator games out there that have a horror bent to them, but don't necessarily have the threat of death, or at least death doesn't have very much of a repercussion. Uh, for example, the game that you and I can both agree is a fantastic, phenomenal game, Colot. Um, mm. It is, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that is a very non-sarcastic, mm-hmm, that's perfect. <laughs> um, that's a game that there is death in the game, but if you die, you don't really start that back. You don't start that far back. Um, checkpoints are very generous and uh, you, you, it's not, you know, it, it's infinite lives essentially. So there's not a whole lot of, of, of repercussion to it, yet it's still a very scary game. So I, I think it definitely can be for sure. I think the, the there's a, we'll link to it in the show notes as well. There's a thread, a Reddit thread. And, and of course, uh, anyone familiar with Reddit knows that um, all of the comments are very, very um, apt, uh, very well thought out. Uh, very non-aggressive. Um, that's not true. So there's a good, it's a good thread though, and it does have a lot of people giving all sides to the idea. Um, but this sort of bleeds into the second question because a lot of the comments in here are basically people taking very opinionated stance that it's either right or it's wrong. So even though the original question might be, can a game still be a horror game or can you still be scared if if the threat of death is removed? Of course, this quickly devolved into people saying that it was either right or wrong to enjoy mm-hmm. the game in this particular way, which I thought was an interesting topic, an interesting way to, uh, an interesting thing to talk about. Um, and something that I've talked a little bit about in various, uh, game or various videos that I've done in the past, specifically regarding, uh, cheating, which can, you know, does cheating cheapen a game? Um, what is cheating? All that kind of stuff. So I think it, it just plays into this larger narrative of choice in game that I really want to explore a little bit. To me, this is, is an extension of, of overall fandom, 
you know, you, you see this sort of thing, whether it's people fanboying out over Microsoft versus Nintendo versus Sony and the console that they prefer is right or you know, the, the, the PC master race folks or um, if it even in an area like a, a realm like Star Wars, right? The new Star Wars movie came out last week and it's been a very polarizing thing among Star Wars fans that you've got one camp that hates it and is vehemently talking it down. And then you've got another camp that thinks it was one of the better Star Wars in recent memories and is propping it up in their argument. And I feel like whenever someone is passionate about something and has a, a real enjoyment for something. I, I think it's an extension of psyche to want to show why you, why you like something and, and your point of view about how you like it and how you think that it's best because you like it that way. And other people should follow suit and like it the same way you do in the exact same manner. Ah, the old religion argument. Yeah, it really Uh, is. It's a, it's an evangelism (laughs) sort of thing. Yeah. You almost feel uh, you f- you feel it. You feel like it's your duty to make other li- other people's lives um, as good as yours are, and you credit your life being good because of X Y Z. So if you don't share X Y Z, you're actually a bad person by not evangelizing. Yeah, smallpox so. be damned. <laughs> uh, it's true. I I think there's a. I think you're probably right for for for. Uh, certain situations, I would say that there probably are still those that are, and maybe maybe you're still right. So as I talk through this and as I articulate this, then maybe it will ultimately end up fitting into your argument. But the idea that someone who maybe hasn't played Soma and still has an opinion on the matter, um, you know, it, they still feel that removing the monsters cheapens the game in some way. I guess perhaps that's just a different type of fandom. You know, there's a fandom that's really a fan of uh, of of game developer intent or they're a fan of the studio that released the game or they're a fan of some aspect of the game so therefore they feel that they can still fight for it even if the thing they're fighting for isn't something they maybe have direct um, knowledge of or anything like that perhaps Hmm. or they just know how they like horror you know if they if what they get out of a horror game or a survival horror game is more toward the survival aspect and more toward the action elements of battling the monsters as opposed to just being in a spooky environment and seeing all of the creepiness that the developer has designed i think that gets back to well you should enjoy it how i enjoy it mhm yeah I think well, as long as we can all agree that there's only one true religion, I think we'll be fine. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've uh, probably beaten that uh, haunted horse for a little bit here. Let's yeah. move on to something. <laughs> you know, I- I'm reading our notes here. I'm reading our titles. And uh, I'm thinking, you know what? We- we've we've done this horror thing. We've talked about this horror thing. Let's go on to something more exciting. And the first word in the next title is lackluster. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the lackluster 2017 PlayStation Experience event. Well, I, I listened to the new uh, Cartridge Club Weekly episode this morning. Uh, we're recording this episode a little early because I'm heading back to Wisconsin on a family trip for, for Christmas, uh, leading tomorrow morning. So it's a little bit earlier in the week and I was listening to the Cartridge Week Cartridge Club Weekly. And I think P2 said it best when he said, you know, I want to get into a little bit about PlayStation experience. And then his next words were like, it was boring, nothing to see, moving on. You <laughs> <laughs> and that I didn't even I completely forgot it even happened right because it was like oh yeah PlayStation Experience is coming up this weekend I'm going to see the news and then as we were preparing for this episode I I started thinking god there are no news stories at all going on you know in the holiday holiday time and then I saw an article about the opening night for PlayStation Experience and that dawned on me at that point that I hadn't seen literally one thing about it. So I went and actually on a hunt to try to find information about PlayStation Experience. And from what I can tell, only one worthwhile thing happened at the whole event. And that was when Greg from Kinda Funny Games was was interviewing. I don't remember. I don't even remember who it was from Sony that was he was talking to. But he asked them. He asked them basically. Look, I'm just gonna get get right down to it and say 
when are we finally going to be able to change PlayStation Network usernames? And the response was, well, let me just say that hopefully things will be put in motion where you won't have to ask me that same question next year. So a little bit of a thinly veiled hint there that hopefully PlayStation Network usernames will be able to be changed sometime in the coming year here. Because, (laughs) I mean, it's only been a dozen years since PlayStation Network launched. You would think this should be pretty standard fare by now <laughs> it's true i think in the sean laden was the uh, the name of the guy um, that was asked he's a sony executive i don't know his exact title but i think you're right and that the most telling thing is that nobody knew this was coming up this this event was coming up uh, i remember when um when it was uh you know the uh the big E3 show. Um, of course, we knew about that for months in advance, and we were all looking forward to that. And perhaps it was because I was I participated in the Cartridge Club um, uh, uh, talks about that. But I was, you know, personally invested. But I think even as a gamer, I was excited about it for months and months and months. And then the Paris Game Week, uh, that was something I, I wasn't as excited about, but I was still very much aware of, and I was still very much looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't until the first night was over that I remembered, oh yeah, that's on. Um, and I'll tell you the one thing, the only thing that I was even... That, that even reminded me about it is because in my uh, news feed, which Google knows me well, apparently, uh, there was a story about Medieval getting remastered. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked that game uh, when it first came out on, I think, PS2. Um, it might have been PS1. Was it a PS4 or PS2? Uh, I first played it on PC. Okay. But I think it was PS1. I think it yeah. was that that era. So I was... And I don't know how Google knew this about me, that I loved this game, uh, but that was the only story from, maybe because that was the only story that was even <laughs> worth being a story, but yeah. that was the only thing I was even aware of. And then I re- I kind of dug into when was this released, who released this. I'd like to try, I'd like to uh, follow those types of things in hopes of getting, you know, uh, additional good information in the future. And it turns out it was part of this, what should have been a very big event, but uh, yeah, kind of lackluster overall. Um I don't know. Is that sort of the intent of 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 the PSX? Do you think, uh, especially maybe this year? What What do you think? I think the the last couple of years, it's really been their big flagship flagship event for the year, and they've really held back at E three and the the big industry wide events in order to release a lot of information at PlayStation Experience. And this year, they really went. They sort of reversed course, and they had a lot of big, big events or big showings at the E3. Had a lot of big showings at the uh, Paris Games Convention, and really, I think there was just nothing left in the tank for PlayStation Experience. And it's kind of a bummer. I kind of like having a, a whole event for for PlayStation. I mean, that was a couple of years ago. If you remember, they had the 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 twentieth anniversary PlayStation PS4 that was released in conjunction with the PlayStation experience event. Um, so it's been it, it in the past, it has been a big event for them. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, it, it did also, I think give a, a bit more light into the, what looks to be a great game, Donut County. Um, I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, I think it looks very, very cool. You had me a uh, donut. <laughs> that's right. It, it's kind of a rever- I think uh, the I think Holly over at uh, PlayStation Access is again one of the, my favorite YouTube channels. Um, I think she described it as Katamari in reverse, which uh, is an interesting concept and something I'm very much looking forward to. But yeah, you know, medieval like I mentioned, there's a uh, um, Last Guardian getting VR. I think if if I was excited about VR, this would be one I'd be excited about because I really, really enjoyed The Last Guardian. That was, yep. uh, I played that this very, pretty recently, actually, I played that and really, really enjoyed it. Um, so it's, if something like that can't get me excited for VR and Fallout 4 didn't get me excited for VR, then yeah, I'll never be excited. But, you know, what are you going to do? One thing I think that's interesting about The Last Guardian VR is that it's really, they're pitching it as more of just a, a unique tech demo that they're doing. Uh, they were very specific that they wanted to make it clear that this wasn't part of a, a larger process wasn't part of a preview to a full vr last guardian game it was just like a, oh this is just kind of a thing we're doing and you can check it out if you want it's a free demo no oh, okay that's nice yeah um, yeah so okay. it'd be kind of cool to just explore a little bit but yeah cool but, so playstation experience is is dying on the vine it's so it sort of seems and that brings us to another playstation feature that it died on the vine 
And that is when PlayStation 3 originally launched. I don't know if you remember this, because you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you sort of skipped the early PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 generation, right? Absolutely, I did. And uh, I regret it, but I did. So when PlayStation 3 launched, it was sort of billed as this mega... It was really intended to be the mega system. Sony was sort of blowing their load all over technological advancement, and it was packed with everything you could imagine. It had mem- all sorts of different memory card slots. It had way, uh, way too many expansion ports. It was trying to be all things to all people. And as part of that, they had a function where you could actually load alternative operating systems on the hard drive and boot into these other operating systems. So people were buying PlayStation 3s and effectively turning them into Linux PCs. Really, for the processing power that was was in the PlayStation Three, you were getting a heck of a deal on a cheap uh, on a cheap PC. But shortly after launch, I don't remember how long it took, but they they basically patched out the ability to install other operating systems on the PlayStation Three. Well, of course, that eventually spawned a lawsuit where people were saying, "Hey, you know you." You marketed the PlayStation 3 as a a device where I could go ahead and install whatever operating system I wanted on it, and then you sort of baited and switched me, right? You mm-hmm. That was something that I was buying, and that was part of my value equation was this ability to install Linux or whatever on, on my PlayStation 3. So it ended up going to court and ended up uh, being settled in court as a class action settlement. So... This is basically because of the glacial pace of our court system is now finally coming to a head. And for anybody out there who still has their launch model PlayStation 3, or even if you just still have the serial number to it and still have the uh, the PlayStation Network account that was attached to it active, you can actually join this class settlement uh, and end up getting up to sixty five bucks back in the settlement award. So you know if if hmm. yeah, so if you've got even if you've got a a launch model fat PS three, uh, definitely go check it out. The website for the settlement is otherossettlement.com. That's like the other OS operating system settlement.com. And that's the the website that the court has set up for um, handling the claims. And if you go in there, put in your PlayStation Network username, your PlayStation Network email address, and the serial number for your launch model PlayStation 3, you, you do that by April 15th of 2018, and you will basically be joining the class action uh, case and the settle be part of the settlement and then whatever the award is that's already been agreed on that they're estimating it at up to 65 bucks a person but if they have just you know an overwhelming number of people signing up and still joining which I can't imagine they will because you've still got to have either your serial number or or the actual PlayStation itself um, and so many of those launch models actually died because they had a yellow they they had an overheating problem that caused a sort of the PlayStation version of the Red Ring of Death. They mm-hmm. had the Yellow Light of Death, um, which was the thermal paste would would dry out and the 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 graphic processor would overheat. So hopefully, uh, hopefully there aren't a whole lot of people, and you know whoever gets into the class can get some cash, which uh, would would be nice. And do you think uh, is the reason you have to have a an active uh, proof that you had an active PlayStation account at that time? To prevent people from essentially just going to a Goodwill and buying old, you know, PlayStations and, and turning them in? Yeah, exactly. In the absence of people, of the court expecting people to still have a receipt from, you know, what was that, 2006? Hmm. This was a way for them to to prove, you know, it's essentially the way they're going, tackling proof of purchase. Hmm, okay. And your, and your legal expertise uh, is... Is the reason why um, this class action lawsuit is even uh, even a thing, uh, does it have to do with the fact, you alluded to it earlier, that PlayStation marketed itself as this box that could uh, essentially take on any any operating system and then kind of went back on that. 
um, if they hadn't oper- uh, advertised as being some uh, being a, a device that could take on different operating systems, yet that was still a feature and still something that people could do with it. Um, would they still? Would there still be a case? Uh, I I guess I'm just curious as to how much influence the actual advertising of it had had in there. I think it does have a, a pretty sizable influence. Um, it, a lot of electronics end up getting getting modified and especially now with with software patches and things but if it's they really did market that pretty heavily as being a feature that you could if you didn't like the operating system you could put whatever you wanted on it and the fact that that was so heavily promoted at their their e3 launch event and and um, throughout their their pre-order window marketing campaign i think played a, a big role in in maybe not the decision in the settlement but the overall size of the settlement hmm. so if we had uh i'm speaking in hypotheticals here but i'm always i'm always uh, the the legal world is one i've thankfully i think never really been a part of um because had i been a part of the legal world it probably would have been on the uh criminal end not the smarty pants lawyer <laughs> end um so is there uh Help me like understand if if I a computer. Let's just use a standard home home computer as an example here. Um, if I were a computer manufacturer and I sent out a release update or a patch that prevented the computer from running services from X company for some reason, maybe that X company was a competitor or something like that. But I updated a patch that prevented it from installing that, even though this, the system itself wasn't necessarily advertised as a system that could specifically handle that other company. Is is this a similar situation where there would be the ability to sue or would you sort of, would there really not be the ability to sue because of, of a different reason? I mean, I'm probably just dumbing this down because I think as I say it out loud, there are obvious reasons why they're not exactly parallel cases, but I'm just wondering where the sort of fine line might be there. Yeah, the well, the case that you detailed is actually pretty correlative to a, a case that actually happened uh, hmm. involving Microsoft. So the what you're the case that you're detailing would actually be it wouldn't be this sort of a, a settlement or this sort of a, a legal issue, but it would be more an anti-competitive practices issue. So when Microsoft in the earlier days of Windows, I think this was really back in like Windows 95 when they started bundling with uh, Internet Explorer, there was a big lawsuit uh, over like the battle between Internet Explorer and Netscape. And obviously Windows, when you purchased a computer, it came bundled with Internet Explorer and Internet Explorer was basically pushed on you and it was decided that that was effectively monopolistic practice and was anti-competitive to you know other companies trying to get into the browser space at the time and i think hmm. that you would you would end up having more of a a case along that lines than just the the lack of functionality nice well the more i know yeah yeah <laughs> all right speaking of gaining wisdom <laughs> wisdom comes with age right you know you, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. at least i like to think that cuz i'm old yeah. Okay, I know where you're going now. Damn dirty millennials. <laughs> get In off there. get off my porch. <laughs> Final Fantasy is now aged into its third decade of life. Wow. Doesn't sound so final. I feel old, right? Mm, as you should. As you should, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean a pretty good turnaround for Squaresoft. They the reason it's called Final Fantasy, and I I think this is legit. I don't think this is just like a an urban legend or a, a myth, but the reason it was called Final Fantasy is because they were so low on funds that when they produced the game, they assumed that it was going to be the last game that they made before the company went belly up. Which was actually the original running title of the of the game. Uh the last game we would make before we went belly up. It was a yeah. very long title. Uh-huh. Uh, might have been a subtitle in there somewhere, but I'm not really sure. How how impactful were, were these games to you growing up? They were they were huge. The I didn't play Final Fantasy one on the original Nintendo or back during its heyday. The first Final Fantasy game I ever played was Final Fantasy three on the Super Nintendo, which of course internationally is Final Fantasy six, but. That was actually the first video game role-playing game that I ever played, period. 
in the Nintendo era, I was really more playing you know, platformers and adventure games and beat 'em ups and things like that. I never played Ultima, never played Final Fantasy, never played uh, you know, any of those sort of dungeon diving games. I really even only played Zelda maybe once or twice over at a buddy's house. I had very limited experience with Zelda on the NES in, in the NES's lifespan. So Final Fantasy III was really the first game that led me down the role-playing game rabbit hole, and I just fell in love with it. That immediately led me to uh, Final Fantasy II, which was four, um, and then Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana and just on and on throughout through the whole Super Nintendo and and even the Fantasy Star series and things on the Genesis um, just led me into a real love for role playing games. So it it's got uh, seeing it turn thirty really kind of tugs at my heartstrings and makes me feel like an old geezer. <laughs> uh, I I'm not I was not I, I was similar to you in that I'd never really played RPG uh, RPGs. I think uh, the closest, uh, yeah, probably the closest I would have gotten at that time anyway would be more of your, um, and I know it's not a, a traditional RPG, but um, like a, a Link to the Past, something like that was more of an action overhead kind of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and those that, that kind of whetted my appetite, I guess, for an RPG style experience. But it wasn't until probably Earthbound that I actually had that mm-hmm. RPG type experience. Um, I had a friend who... Um, you know, in some ways I wish I, I still knew this guy or was still connected with this guy because he just had his finger on the pulse of what he knew would become fondly looked upon great games. So, uh, you know, he was someone who introduced me to, uh, Final Fantasy seven when, um, uh, you know, I think he got it on release day and this was before I even had a PlayStation or anything like that. He had, uh, Earthbound and was, um, cutting class to play Earthbound, uh, you know, and this is... <laughs> You know, in America, where Earthbound, upon its initial release, was not really uh, that well looked upon. I mean, it was kind of a novelty. It was clear and stout at most places. Yep, yep. And he was w- well. He was on top of it. Um, he uh, he was one of the fir- one of the maybe the only person I knew that had a Virtual Boy. And of course, the Virtual Boy isn't really looked upon fondly, but it is looked upon in game collecting world as one of those systems that's sort of a, a novelty and something that a lot of collectors like to have because Mm -hmm. it is such a weird thing. He had one of those on release and he, you know, who had one of those on release. So (laughs) he is. So anyway, I have that connection to him because, or I have that connection to final fantasy primarily because of that. He, it was final fantasy seven that, um, he would constantly try to get me to, to, uh, cut class to play with him um i couldn't do it i was a good kid so i would bits and pieces i would see throughout you know the couple of weeks that he was playing it and he'd always have to catch me up on the story and all that kind of stuff so good memories there it was kind of fun but yeah um, it it wasn't until probably final fantasy x uh final fantasy 10 is it final fantasy 10 or x 10 10 okay i figured this was going to be a a uh this is going to reveal my um ignorance um, the, uh, Final Fantasy X uh, in college, my roommate had that game and played it nonstop for probably three months straight. So I feel like I ha- have played that game and have a good, strong connection to that game, but that's really where my Final Fantasy stops is seven and, and 10. Yeah. Seven was the, was the first sort of non-traditional fantasy RPG that I played. You know, it's really more of a, almost like a steampunk sort of setting or a, a techno type type setting. And up until that point, again, going back to the to the Super Nintendo, most of the games were more your uh, your more Dungeons and Dragons type mm-hmm. role playing game setting. So that really opened up my my eyes to the fact that oh, you know, a role playing game can be more than just hacking away at dragons. It can be different settings. And uh, from there, you know, I got into the the I was big into the Sega CD at the time, so I played through. Um, you know, it, it really led me into playing things like Snatcher and exploring sort of that uh, more techno and and steampunky style, um, you know, post postmodern setting. Mm-hmm. And Final Fantasy X, you mentioned that that was really my first real cinematic experience with a video game. You you saw a little bit of that in in PlayStation One games, but it didn't really hit stride and and kind of wow you and knock your socks off until you got into the PlayStation 2 era and Final Fantasy 10 was it was a little bit of a linear story but just absolutely gorgeous I like your roommate I played 
hours and hours and hours of it. And I remember I got after playing it for what felt like months, I (laughs) had a, my game save was at right before the final boss. And we threw a, a, this was, I was in college at the time and we threw a giant Halloween kegger at our, at the house that I lived in. And one of my friends got drunk and spilled beer all over my memory card and just fried, fried it completely. And so I, to this day, I still have not beaten Final Fantasy X because I just can't bring myself to play through it again to get to that point. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, well, Let's Plays are a thing now, so at least you can catch up (laughs) story-wise. I've never actually watched a Let's Play either. I would recommend Many a True Nerd. Hey, second plug for Many a True Nerd, I think, in this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Many a True Nerd. He doesn't need our help. No. He's he's doing just fine. <laughs> so is Amp, but yet the cartridge. That's you know, true. P two pump pump pimps Amp every single day. You know, I try. I've looked every time I happen upon a dollar store or Dollar Tree or or Dollar General, as they're called in the states. There's a lot of different dollar mm-hmm. stores. Never once have I found Amp for anything uh, even remotely close to a dollar, es- so. especially a Canadian dollar. Like that's seventy what seventy cents or seven cents or something like Gosh. that. He should just start. We he, he we should import uh, dollar amp. We and should sell it on the streets. Oh man, oh. we we we're really on something. This this could be our Bitcoin. <laughs> if only, God, Bitcoin. <laughs> if only, ah man. I wonder if yeah. I wonder if enough Bitcoin could buy you some uh, PS2 games on the PS4. What do you think of that yeah, transition well, there? I don't, that's that's a pretty good transition. It could be like the only thing more disappointing than missing out on Bitcoin is. The library of PS2 games on PS4. <laughs> That's better. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that one. Um, so yeah, I'll, I think this will probably be a fairly quick story because, uh, to be frank, it was a slow news day and or a slow news week and a couple of weeks, so we're trying to find stuff. But we're scraping thought... the bottom of the barrel here, folks. <laughs> we and, are, and for us, that that's that's saying something. <laughs> Yeah, what you should I think the listeners should thank us for scraping that the bottom of the barrel for them. They they shouldn't have to do that. That's dirty down there. We're doing that for them. It's You're nasty. welcome, listeners. Yeah. Um so yeah, the there was a, a a story, I guess we could call it a story, um on Kotaku that uh talked about the title of the story is the PS4's library of PS2 games is only getting more disappointing. Um and it's essentially just talking about a a a, a the the uh Fairly well hidden, um, though probably not intentionally so, but just hard to find option on the PlayStation Store uh, called PS2 on PS4, which essentially shows all the digital games that were on the PS2 that you can download and play on your PS4. Um, and so this that's that's actually the the uh, way, way in which I played uh, Psychonauts, which turned out to be one of my fa- very favorite games that I played this year. So it, it's it's there was a story basically saying that that selection the number of games had dwindled to essentially zero at one point and then dwindled to one at one point um and the the takeaway seemed to be that it was either just a glitch so people were freaking out about nothing you know it there, there was just some inventory changes or some changes to the background infrastructure that just temporarily changed these games around um but then that of course spawned uh larger conversations about what maybe really could be going on um, and I, you know, I initially thought before I, before I went down the bug route, because I like to pretend that these types of things are, are actually larger issues than they really are, or they point to larger decisions, uh, than they really do. And my initial thought was thinking maybe is this a, um, a, a step away from console generations? We've seen that with, uh, the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One S and these types of things where it's not a full generation console that's being released. It's more of a step away, uh, a, a gradual um, upgrade style mentality. And if that were the case, does, does is PlayStation now essentially not really needing to differentiate between which console a game was on? It's just games are games are games. And there's a certain romance to that that I like, although I don't think that's really the case here at all, uh, because that just seems like a, that's way too uh, messy. That, the rollout of that is just way too messy for that to even be any indication at all. I think you, Scott, had probably a little bit more of an accurate, um, at least you had you had evidence or information that may point to something that's that's probably a little bit more accurate. 
Well, the article was this just got me thinking about the the PlayStation Two library in general, really, because the the article goes on and mention a bunch of the games that they saw as being the iconic games that were missing for a time from from the PlayStation 4's PS2 catalog. And it was the the games they listed, and this is the, uh, an entire paragraph where they listed God of War, Gran Turismo, Ratchet and Clank, Sly Cooper, Final Fantasy X, Metal Gear Solid 3, Silent Hill 2, and Katamari Damacy. And as I read that paragraph, I thought, well, wait a minute. Literally every single one of those games is available in a remastered form on either PS3 or PS4 already. So, I mean, there's really no need to have the the retro version, uh, uh, the, the the true PS2 version available on a on a PS4 digital distribution because you could just get the remastered version and and get the remastered collection either physically or digitally if that's the the route you want to go. Um, and I think the only the only caveat there for for that entire list is Gran Turismo. And Gran Turismo, I tend to think of them more like sports games, like a Madden, where why would you go back and play Gran Turismo 1 if you've got Gran Turismo 4 or 7 or whatever the hell they're on now? It's just mm-hmm. sort of updated graphics and new new racetracks and new cars and stuff. So it's not like a completely new story or anything, typically. Mm-hmm. You kind of brushed over the idea, or you brushed over real quickly, saying that all of these have remastered versions on PS3 or PS4. Um, but that I think is an important distinction because there are some games like Katamari Damacy, for example, is not available for download on a PS4. It is available for download on a PS3. So not all of these games are available in all generations necessarily. And so there's, there's some element to that. Um, could it also, could there be any indication that maybe like God of War, for example, Ratchet, uh, I'll say God of War is, um, a game, obviously it's coming out with a new version coming up soon. Um, there are new inst- a new uh, uh, a new game in the series coming up soon. Ratchet and Clank has their their PS4 remaster kind of thing. Sly Cooper doesn't have any really information of of new games coming out. I'm just wondering if any of this could potentially be telling of plans for uh, reboots, big games that may be coming out. I, I doubt it. I mean, even if that were the case, it it seems too early f- to really make any changes to a PS store. If those games are coming out, and if they are coming out, they wouldn't be for a while. So, looking, I'm I'm looking way too into it. And I think it ultimately is just a weird hiccup bug or a change in naming structure on their store, or I don't know. Yeah, I think I mean I think it was probably a bug. You look at like Metal Gear Solid Three, Silent Hill. Both of those are Konami games. If they were going to be release, if Konami was going to be releasing brand new Silent Metal Gear Solid and a brand new Silent Hill, I doubt they would be doing it at the same time. You'd want to stagger those releases to smooth out your your cash flows just from a corporate perspective Hmm. but i i i think it is probably just a bug situation but it is kind of fun to talk about you know the the conspiracy theories and the woulda couldas and you know now we all know that you you too are a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist (laughs) you know uh the more crazy conspiracy theories we throw out there uh the more gleefully we can say i told you so when one of them just happens to maybe almost kind of sort of come true just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you Mm, long live kurt cobain Uh, (laughs) long long be dead kurt cobain (laughs) (laughs) uh well that is our episode caleb we made it uh, we made it, you know, we made there it. was more there than I thought there would be. There really was. We didn't even have to resort to like an entire segment of Christmas jingles or Santa jokes or <laughs> you know, listening to us tell stories of, of Christmases of, of years gone by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for the listeners, because I have some doozies. Mm, you know, maybe maybe we could tell those stories in our our Martin Luther King Jr. episode. Good. Yep. I can do that. Oddly enough, all of my Christmas stories involve Martin Luther King Jr. So it'll work out perfectly. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Now we've, we've got a plan for, for our, our post Christmas apocalyptic Martin Luther King Jr. Extravaganza. No listeners better hold me, uh, hold me accountable to that. Cause I lied. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caleb, 
Merry Christmas to you, sir. And to you, sir. Why don't you tell these fine folks who've put up with our mad rambling for over an hour now <laughs> where they can find you on the internet if they want to find even more mad ramblings. <laughs> I'll go even further, and I'll say not only where I can be found, which uh, I can be found Caleb J. Ross, that's the letter J, not the word, Caleb J. Ross, pretty much anywhere, Twitter, uh, YouTube. Um, uh, YouTube is also my latest video on YouTube is specifically the 26 game summary for the Cartridge Club Alphabet Backlog Challenge. Um, but I will also uh, say that you could find the Masters of Unlocking podcast on Twitter at MOU Podcast. You can find the Masters of Unlocking uh, website at mastersofunlocking.com and the Masters of Unlocking Facebook account at facebook.com slash Masters of Unlocking. But Scott, I will allow you to properly uh, properly promote yourself. I don't want I don't want to take that from you. <laughs> <laughs> well you can find me on the Twitterverse at VG Collectaholic. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as well, VG Collectaholic and vgcollectaholic.com, which is a, a website I set up that has absolutely zero content and has for about a year. So I don't recommend you find me there. <laughs> Good. Good thing you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Also, you know, you, you, you obviously found one episode, at least, if you're just joining us. Thank you for joining. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcasting platform of choice and if you really like us go ahead and leave us a review leave us a thumbs up leave us a a, a stone cold steve austin oh hell yeah if as it were <laughs> we would we would love to hear your thoughts on on our humble little podcast and thank all of you who have already given us some love on on the itunes reviews and stitcher reviews and and whatnot so Thank you much, and we hope that you have a fantastic Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, whatever you're into, <laughs> go ahead and celebrate. And we will see you next time on episode 12 of the Masters of Unlocking. Wow, 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 wow,